You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Show, episode 227. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook, and keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock, Our Take segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. We have a great show planned for you this week in our Your Stock, Our Take segment. Aaron answers a listener question on Northland Power NPI on the TSX, a global power producer established in 1987, focused on advancing the clean energy transition by generating electricity from renewable sources. The stock, which pays a 5% dividend, is down 36% in 2023 and 47% over the past year. Aaron lets you know if the declines make Northland a potential buy or if they are symptomatic of a larger issue with the business that should have you on the sidelines. I answer a listener question on Texas Inc., symbol TCS on the Toronto Stock Exchange, a provider of supply chain software solutions for the healthcare and complex distribution verticals. Like many small to mid-sized software firms, Texas Stock has been cut in half from its pandemic highs, and a listener asks us if this dividend-paying software firm with a cash-rich balance sheet is now on sale. Brett takes a look at Arm Holdings, symbol ARM on the NASDAQ, which conducted its initial public offering, or IPO, last week. The company has designed, or at least partially designed, components are in 99% of the smartphones out there. Brett will let you know if Arm is worth holding any attention in your portfolio. In our star and dog segment, Brennan, star of the week is Thorn Health Tech Inc., symbol THRN on the NASDAQ. It's up 38% in the past month, 174% year to date, and 118% since we highlighted as a monitor in our U.S. under $2 billion market cap special report that was released to clients in June of this year. His dog of the week is Artificial Intelligence Ventures, Inc., symbol AIVC on the TSX Venture. It's actually up approximately 65% since the start of June this year. Let's see how the young man spins this one. All right, let's get to the show. I'm going to welcome my co-host, Mr. Aaron Dunn, the Killer Bees, Brett and Brennan. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Glad to be back. We got, we got Brennan back. Brennan's back. How was the moose uh, photoing it or was shooting good. or whatever you did? No, it was funny that camera, uh, I did watch the podcast, and I'm I'm glad that you guys didn't bash me too much. Um, we didn't, and it was it, well. I mean, well, we it dropped seems like relatively, a missed opportunity. Relatively speaking, I guess. I'd rather do it when you're here, just to <laughs> see true. the crushing impact on your face. As we but do. yeah, it was funny that you guys, you know, were already making an image of me riding a moose, and I came back with a story where we did see, you know, several elk, and uh, I think I was even saying to you guys up at Wasatch on the golf course. Um, Every single green actually had an electric fence around it uh, to not let the elk fight on the greens, basically. And in one of the middle of the fairways, um, there was like this huge hole that was dug, but it was basically just from the elk, you know, hitting their antlers together and, uh, you know, f- fighting, I guess, because it is the rut, I believe. You know, I'm not That's good. And, and Brennan has a new strategy. He told me every time he misses a shot on the green, he just runs into the electric fence to... <laughs> no. <laughs> no, oh, and no. then he never misses a shot again That's no true. but uh but yeah it was interesting i've always played that course as a junior and that was the first time i've ever seen electric fences around the greens but i played good golf um you know i beat both my uncle and my dad so <sighs> that's the first time i ever Impressive. beat my dad um so they're uh, both in their early 90s but you know it was good of you to to beat them yeah yeah that's yeah. good but uh but yeah and then as well uh, brennan's athletic career yeah <laughs> the highlight right the there. the nice thing about golf is you can peak later on in your life so i think that uh you know mid 30s i should be hopefully shooting in the 70s we'll see um, you can peak in a lot of things in your mind later in life <laughs> you know that right 
This, this is true. That's good, though. So you, you interviewed, uh, we wanted to get to, I talked a little bit about, uh, you interviewed about six or seven companies at uh, a conference, the Planet Microcap in Vancouver. Yep. Um, we wanted to ask you, because you, you know, basically didn't show up last Monday. We wanted to ask you, what were some of the highlights from the six or seven companies that you so I'd say probably the most interesting company that I spoke with was uh, Flight Aerospace Solutions or Fly, F-L-Y on the TSX Venture. I spoke with the CEO and the CFO and uh, they've got some interesting or basically SaaS solutions and hardware to basically enable to track uh, airplanes essentially, um, as well as some uh, weather monitoring like humidity um, sensors. Um, you know, seeing their path forward, like the company still isn't profitable um, but seeing their path forward, it is intriguing and we'll definitely be reaching out to them, uh, you know, to to book another call. And uh, again, me and Ryan were at different tables taking different meetings. So, you know, I'd like to have Ryan there as well to uh, speak with management. Another, you know, I would say interesting company, but, you know, they're far from profitability is, uh, you know, Vision Marine Technologies, very far from profitability. Um, but, you know, one one question that I posed to them, because essentially what they do is they make electric uh, outboard uh, boat motors, essentially. And what I, my main question was, you know, are you still seeing end consumers reluctant to go with an electric boat? And, you know, he, he was kind of fumbling with the question a little bit and end up, ended up saying, you know, at the end, yes, they are. Um, and really, you know, the big change is if there's all of a sudden some kind of subsidies uh, or tax incentives for the consumer. Um, but of course, you know, we're, you know, that, that's still a ways away. And, you know, I, I posed to him, like my dad is, he loves outboards. He's a big fisherman. You know, he would be yelling blasphemy at, you know, an electric outboard uh, motor. So I kind of brought that into the, the conversation, but there were several good conversations. Um, yeah, I, I had good meetings. I was well prepared for my meetings, <laughs> which is, is always good. Um, but yeah, the, the highlight I would say is flight and we'll definitely be booking another call with them. In the future, yeah, fl flights last quarter 24% growth in revenue. SaaS was up 25%, and they were EBITDA positive, not net income, but mm -hmm. EBITDA positive. Um, you know, it they believe there's a large market opportunity ahead of them, so you know, it is an interesting company. We've monitored them for a while, been interviewing them for over five years now, so you know, yeah. interesting for sure. And, and the balance uh, if, sheet? If they can capitalize on that. Uh, the balance I, sheet, they're slightly net debt. Like I've got yeah, right but it's, here. They have a cash, you know, what is it, a couple million in the 1. bank? 1.7 I mean, million as of yeah, June yeah, 30th. And I've got debt, which this wouldn't be including leases of like 4.7 million uh, yeah. roughly. Um, and again, like they're primarily dealing with like these tier three um, airlines where, you know, they're, they're really trying to get with, you know, the tier ones. And that would be, you know, a huge or a potential inflection point for the business, you know, if all of a sudden they're outfitting, you know, hundreds of planes. Yeah, and for sure. One of the recent, uh, your stock, our takes that we did Kraken robotics. One of you mm -hmm. interviewed that company as well. Yeah. I interviewed them last week and we'll did probably go to a second. Kraken? Right in the middle of the interview, I had to fight it off. It was impressive, <laughs> yeah. honestly. I, I did bring the, uh, a famous sword to cut uh, cut some of the limbs off of the kraken, and you know it was a bloody battle right to the end. And no, it was good. Um, we, you know, these interviews that we have with them, they're about thirty minutes. The speed dating, right? So, um, you know, Brennan's familiar with speed dating, so you know, you, you don't really get to know the uh, the company as well as you need to. It's a follow-up. It's initial. Now, do I want to follow that up further? And, and you know, there was a few names there that we'll want to follow up further and really have, a, you know, probably an hour or two chat with them and go from there and really dig in. But certainly if, like, Kraken, like we said last week, if they can execute on their second half, uh, it is interesting, but they have to do it, right? They have to come up. And, 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 you know, there's growth potentially in the next year, but they have to do that. There's lumpiness to the business, so you're probably never going to get, like, a smooth quarterly earnings, you know, 10% organically up quarter after quarter after quarter, you're not going to get that it's going to have lumpiness to the business. But uh, if you can look at it on an annual basis, there is some intriguing, uh, it certainly has some intrigue to it. Mm -hmm. All right. Speaking of intriguing businesses, Aaron, you're going to talk about Northland Power, are you not? You, yeah, you're, uh, you're fairly familiar with the company. Pleasure to pleasure to do that. I, and we are quite it comes from a question. Company. 
as a matter of fact, Northland Power was um, included in our recent electrification report. So we've done some research on the business. Um, always happy to provide some coverage on it on the show. Uh, so let's let's get into it here. Uh, Northland Power, what they are, they're a globally diversified renewable power company. Uh, they're, where they're really strong is really in the offshore wind business, um, particularly in Europe. Um, but they are globally diversified. Um, and they also have some natural gas element to them and regulated utility. Um, but primarily renewable power, symbol is NPI on the TSX, trades at about $24, market capitalization of $6 billion, and it pays uh, what is an attractive yield right now of 5%. So looking at the company over the last 12 months, it's uh, not been a good story for shareholders. Stock price has declined from over $44 to down to $24 in the last 12 months. And really, this, is, uh, this has been the story for the company. Um, really over the last couple of years. Now, what we can see from this five-year chart is that the stock price peaked uh, around late 20, around late 2021. Um, and this was uh, this was very typical of renewable stocks. Uh, coming out of the pandemic, there was a big, you know, big ramp up in a lot of industries. Renewables were one of them. Uh, since then, it's been mostly down with some volatility, but, you know, not not a good story over the past couple of years for investors. And this is previously a company that was wild, um, widely considered to be one of the top renewable stocks. So let's see what's going on here. Is this just market sentiment? Is this actual um, stock movement based on financials? Well, here are the Q2 2023 financial results. And we can see um, big declines really across the board. So sales revenue was down 15% in the quarter, adjusted EBITDA, EBITDA down almost 31%. And then adjusted free cash flow per share, which is really the metric that we would look at um, to measure the profitability of the business, was down 64%. So few things were impacting the company. Um, one was there were challenging market conditions in offshore wind, particularly. This has to do with pricing. I also believe it has to do with wind resource, which can be volatile. Um, one of the big things that the company has also talked about recently were supply chain constraints, inflation, and higher interest rates. So the costs um, have been increasing, um, costs to you know maintain existing assets, but perhaps more importantly, the cost to build new assets because they are a very aggressive company when it comes to developing and they have very aggressive growth plans to expand the renewable power portfolio. So all of these costs that they've budgeted um, for over the next couple of years have been increasing. Uh, there were regular, regulatory changes in Spain, which resulted in deferred revenue, lower production there as well. Uh, and then as well, we're also comparing um, the company to 2022, where there was a spike in European market prices for power. And this, of course, had a lot to do with the invasion of Ukraine and uh, the reduction in, in natural gas coming from, from Russia. Now, looking forward for the full year, the company has put out guidance. They still think that they're going to come in at the bottom end of their previous guidance range, which is for adjusted free cash flow of 170 to 190 per share. Um, and then so assuming they come in at that $1.70 in free cash flow per share, that would be about a 13% decline in free cash flow compared to 2022. Now, the valuation right now is well below the historic, uh, the historic average right now trading at about 14 times cash flow. So this is quite cheap for uh, for Northland Power compared to where it's been over the past several years. As I'd said, the company does have a very aggressive plan for for developing new assets in its portfolio. Uh, and what they what they're looking to do is expand their production more than double it. Um, by 2027, their production capacity compared to 2022. So growing from three gigawatts of capacity in 2022 um, to about 6.5 gigawatts in 2027. And then they see opportunities to expand well beyond that up to um, 12 plus gigawatts over the over future years. Um, and of course, this is going to result likely in very strong EBITDA growth. Uh, but 1.2 to 1.3 billion in EBITDA is what is expected in 2023. They're looking at growing this at about a seven to ten percent compound annual growth rate to 1.7 to 1.9 billion by 2027, and then they think they can get over three billion 
by 2030. So um, aggressive plans for growth. But one of the caveats here is that the company's historical track record um, has not been great in terms of just consistent growth year over year, which is, of course, what we like to see. And uh, this has really also showed up in the per um, per share growth rates of free cash flow. So um, adjusted EBITDA really has has moved up and down. I mean, the trend has been for growth over the past five years, but there's been some volatility. And then adjusted free cash flow per share really hasn't gone anywhere from the 2019 to 2020 level. Um, actually, we're looking at you know about 170 per share for the current year, which is is going to be the lowest level of free cash flow per share that they produced over the previous uh, four or five years. So one of the things that we do look at in a company is we like to see a consistent track record of growth. Doesn't have to be perfectly consistent, but we want to see that trend of year over year growth um, over a period of time. And we want to ensure that the company is growing their per share um, earnings or their per share free cash flow. So one of the things that we've always noted from watching Northland is that they don't seem very focused on the per share growth. They have very aggressive um, strategy for expanding the portfolio. So that's going to lead to higher sales. That's going to lead to higher EBITDA. Does not necessarily lead to higher free cash flow per share, which is really what we're looking for. So our take on Northland Power, there's a few things we really like about the company. Certainly, it's a globally diversified renewable power stock, one of the best in the business. Um, they do have that aggressive expansion strategy, which has the potential to produce a lot of growth. And then the valuation is quite cheap relative to the historic range. So 14 times free cash flow, if we had confidence that free cash flow per share wasn't going to continue to decline, would be what we consider a very attractive valuation for a company like Northland, given the industry that it operates in and the, the geographic diversification. Now, the trend has been for lower free cash flow per share, and that's an issue. But you know, when we look at this company historically, one of the issues we've had with it in the past is that it's always been what we consider expensive relative to free cash flow, upwards about 30 times. So that valuation has been cut in half. Now, on the negative side, um, financial performance in recent years has not been great. They've really kind of trended in a range. Um, free cash flow per share, as I said, has actually trended down slightly, expected to continue to do so in 2023. Uh, there's a lot of cost pressures on the business right now with higher interest rates. They have a fairly leveraged balance sheet, so interest expense is a concern. Um, cost pressures on their development project that can, projects that completely changes the economics of the business. And there's also been that lack of, of focus historically on growth in per share free cash flow or per share dividends, which we're always looking at a company relative to how they can grow on a per share basis, since that's what you own as a shareholder, you own shares. Um, so the company is high on our monitor list. I, I I don't want to, you know, underestimate its ability to grow and provide shareholder returns over the next five years. It is not a current recommendation based on the points that I made. And what, of course, we'd be looking for is just we want to see consistency of growth in free cash flow per share. Um, and hopefully that's going to lead to dividend increases eventually as well. Now, given where the valuation is, given that they do have uh, high quality long-term assets. Some investors could potentially take a small position due to low valuation, but I would not consider this a core company to own right now. I consider this a company to monitor very closely. Um, and when the time is right uh, and it hits some of the targets we're looking for, we could potentially upgrade it to a recommendation. I think it's a good summary. I think uh, what you hit on there is the company not always delivering on their targets is kind of really what keeps you on the sidelines to some mm -hmm. degree, is it not? It like is, yeah. A history of watching the company kind of overpromise and underperform. It's. I, I don't know if it's much as that they've been overpromising, but they have been underperforming. I would say my expectations on the per share mm -hmm. growth is really where, where yeah. what it comes to. Yeah. Yeah, and you'd like to see more per share growth to really be an investor at this. Yeah, consistency. Even if you're just talking, you know, five percent per year, but you want it on that free cash flow per share line. Understandably, as I said, with the cost pressures. That might be hard to do right now. Some other macroeconomic factors as well. But um, this is, you know, every once in a while, a company can have a bad quarter, a bad year. But, you know, we really haven't seen that consistency of growth that we, that we want to see. 
Yeah, and and we do have like another renewable power producer that now is producing significant per share cash flow mm-hmm. growth, and that you know we're recommending that above it essentially yeah, at this point. Okay, well, and if you guys don't have anything further on that, let's move to Texas. Well, this is a company that we have looked at for a number of years. It's appeared in our uh, Canadian small cap to mid cap cash rich report. It's typically had a solid balance sheet and reasonable growth. And we'll look into strong revenue growth historically, but has the profitability been there? And that's kind of going to be the crux of what we're going to look at today. Texas trades around $28, $414 million market cap. The company is based in Montreal. They're a provider of supply chain software solutions for the healthcare and complex distribution verticals. The company's software covers warehouse management, distribution, transportation management, supply management, at point of use, distributed order management, along with financial management and analytics. They primarily sell its solutions on a a SaaS basis or software as a service. They have over a thousand customers in 15 countries. Now, let's take a look quickly here at the recent numbers. This is Q1 fiscal 2024, so the first quarter of the fiscal year. Revenues rose 21.7% to about 41.9 million. SaaS revenues were up 44% of that revenue. They were 11.5%. Adjusted EBITDA was 3.2 million. That's up 114%. And earnings per share were 8 cents from basically flat in the same period of last year. Now, Texas exited the quarter with a solid balance sheet, net cash of 31.9 billion. So again, the balance sheet is strong. Let's look at their guidance because you're always looking forward when you're trying to value a stock. Texas, they're reiterating their previously presented uh, fiscal guidance for 2024. Uh, 2024 revenue, 10 to 15%. Revenue growth, 35. No, sorry, that is SaaS revenue growth. The revenue growth overall, 35. The SaaS revenue growth, sorry, is 35 to 37%. And the adjusted EBITDA margin right now, 6%. Uh, they don't have any guidance in terms of total revenue for fiscal 2025 or SaaS revenue growth for 2025. They are stating that adjusted EBITDA margin for 2025 will be 8 to 9%. Now, the revenue growth is decent. The midpoint there is 12.5%. And the SaaS growth at 35 to 37% is strong, but it implies a slowing throughout the year as Q1 came in of four at 44% and the SAS revenues still remain under 30% of total revenues. Now the adjusted EBITDA margin is 6% here is low. Even moving to fiscal year 2025, it's moving in the right direction up to eight to 9%, but it is still a low number, particularly for a software driven company. So let's look at the valuations right now. Currently their premium with a trailing EV to EBITDA of 38.84 price to cash flow of 68.2 and a PE of 125 on a forward looking basis EV to EBITDA 33.2 times the PE is 88.8 times again these are lower as we see growth going forward but they're still high across the board for a company looking at total revenue growth in the range of 12.5% of course the SaaS growth is higher in the 35% range but the total revenue base of the company is, is still just expected to grow 12.5%. So our take here, Texas is a solid software success story. It's grown its revenues that you can see here in US dollars over the past 10 years from 2014, where they were 41.1 million to the last 12 months at 121.5 million. So that's good growth. Operating income has been more volatile over that 10 year period. Um, to be frank, frank, operating earnings, cash flow, and adjusted EBITDA margins are quite low. Uh, this is partially due to the fact that while its SaaS offering is growing, again, it remains under 30% of the business. There's hardware and service revenue making up the majority of the revenues. Hardware in particular can be lower margin. The company also continues to spend to take advantage of what it believes is a large and underserved market opportunity. The strategy has grown sales smartly, as we've seen to the point where it trades at a price to sales of roughly 2.5 on a trailing basis compared to its peers in the range of three, but it's led to profitability that's been volatile over the past decade. Texas has a strong track record of revenue growth, a strong balance sheet, and the normalization in the supply chains 
in the retail and logistics sectors should enable its end markets to begin to focus on improvements and such as Texas's solutions. However, the company's profit margins and valuations at present make it too rich for our models. And we continue to just monitor the stock right now. Yeah. You know, like you said, we've, uh, oh, oh, that's just disclosures. Um, Like you said before, um, you know, we've looked at it many times, have had it in our cash report or our cash rich, Canadian cash rich reports. Um, You know, I'm looking at a report that I wrote April of 2022. The The price was slightly higher. Again, it was just a monitor in that report. And again, you know, April of 2022, EV to EBITDA multiple, 39 times. Uh, Trailing price to earnings multiple, still 124 times. So, you know, we really haven't seen much change in that valuation at all. Yeah, well, I guess we can say it historically just trades at that, so I'll trade at that forever. But, I mean, the expectation is for further growth going forward. And, uh, you know, at some point in underlying cash flow on a per share basis, it has to pick up to really drive the stock forward. Mm -hmm. Um, Like we said, many of these midsize to smaller cap related software as a service or just software related related companies are still cut in half from their kind of crazy pandemic highs. So the question came in, is this a great value now? Well, as you can see, you know, it was at insane valuations in the pandemic. Right now, there's still significant premium valuations. If they can keep growing that SaaS business at 35 plus percent, uh, that, you know, it then becomes intriguing. And they are, you know, servicing the supply chain is a great area to be in right now. Uh, it should be, it, it, it's kind of, like I said, it, it was tough to probably sell into it because, Anybody in that department was likely just fighting for their lives over the past couple of years. Now they probably think we need to optimize our solutions. So you may, you know, they, they believe and reading through their MDNA, MDNA, it looks like they believe, you know, there should be a great backlog going forward of business and it's a great pipeline that they can sell into. So if they accelerate growth or at least keep that SaaS revenue growth at thir- or yeah, revenue growth in the SaaS business, 35 plus percent. You know, you can justify maybe an EV to EBITDA that is 35, 38, but uh, they have to continue that or maybe even accelerate that. And, and then it would become somewhat more interesting. It's but quite also low just margin converting for a software cash. company. I mean, yeah, 6%, yeah. even their target of, of 8, 9% for EBITDA margin. I mean, that's, yeah. that's quite a low margin for a software company. Yeah. yeah, I think the justification to some degree is to spend a large market. There's a huge opportunity right now, but at some point you have to go higher, right? You know, you have to get a higher uh, a higher margin for us to really be interested because we have to believe that you're able to do that going forward. And again, the SaaS, the specific SaaS part is still under 30% of the business. So, you know, it, it, we'd love to see that 50% plus and continue to grow. It's growing at a good rate, so it could get there in the next, you know, three to five years, but we'll see. So stock will continue to monitor. And I think it's done well as a great Canadian, a really good Canadian success story, but it tra- again, trades at premium valuations now. All right, let's transition to our next Your Stock, Our Take. A question came in for, I believe, on Thorne. Is that correct? Thorne Medical? Or are we just reviewing this company? Uh, that's the uh, no, the it's not Thorn. What, which is what company is it? It's <laughs> Arm. Arm. No, it's it's just Arm. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what we're doing today. I can't move up my screen here, but um, Arm is the company. Now, this is a company that was actually taken was public, taken private by SoftBank, was it not? And yeah. now has been reissued to the market, but. Brett, Brett's going to take you through that full story. All right. So, like Ryan said, I'm covering Arm Holdings symbol ARM or ARM on the NASDAQ. It currently trades at roughly $56 after IPOing at 51 last week. It's very volatile right now. So probably by the time you're watching it, it could be $5 or $10 difference. It would not be surprising. That $51, though, which it was expected to IPO at, it was already their high end of the range and it's trading above that now. But ARM is a designer of computer chips intended to run on a battery. ARM computer platforms are the most power efficient on the planet and continue to push the thresholds of performance to enable the next generation of smart, AI cable, visually immersive, and increasingly autonomous experience on everything from the tiniest sensors to the smartf- to smartphones, to the automobile, and to the data center. ARM designed, or at least partially designed components, 
as they uh, license out some of their tools and as well as um, manufacturers such as Apple, they'll heavily change the underlying uh, software, well, design, I should say, not software, um, is a is in 99% of smartphones. So effectively, if you have a smartphone, ARM is at least designed a portion of the chips inside. The key difference to them compared to other uh, semiconductors such as Intel or AMD is they design on the RISC-V architecture, which is significantly different from the x86 architecture, which they use, as it is significantly more power efficient, and that's really their main selling point. Before we get into the financials, though, let's just take a look back at its road to its effectively second IPO. Arm was previously a public company. Arm was taken private by SoftBank in 2016 for an acquisition price of $32 billion, which was a 43% premium at the time after it traded on the London Exchange and as well as the NASDAQ for about 20 years. Then in 2020, NVIDIA announced it was looking to acquire Arm, but it was effectively blocked by regulators ending discussions in 2020 two and they were looking to acquire the company for about 40 billion dollars now for its current ipo the company was valued at 54.5 billion and is now trading at just under 60 billion dollars during that period revenue increased from 1.56 billion in 2015 prior to being taken private to now 2.7 billion in first fiscal 2023 a kgar of about 7.1 percent Moving to the current financials, we don't have the same granularity as we do for other companies as they didn't previously report their quarterly earnings, of course, since they weren't a public company. So as far as quarterly earnings, we only have the Q, fiscal Q1 2024 and Q1 2023 numbers, as well as the annual fiscal 2022, 2021, and 2023 annual results in its prospectus. During its first quarter of fiscal 2024, the company had revenue of $675 million down from $692 million in the prior year, so slightly lower. Similarly, for the revenue for fiscal 2023, which was effectively flat at $2.7 billion, but that was a large jump up from $2 billion revenue in 2021. As well, the company only designs and licenses architecture and its tools, so it has a great gross profit margin of 95.4% for the quarter, a key difference compared to other semiconductor companies, and that is actually quite appealing, of course. Net income of 105 versus 225 million or 10 cents versus 22 cents per share for the first quarter. Notably, this is lower due to increased research and development costs as well as SDNA. The increase in expenses was almost entirely due to share based compensation, though. This isn't really uncommon for just before an IPO or just after an IPO because people are wanting to really cash out their holdings in the company. You'll have aggressive share compensation beforehand. So it's not exactly surprising their share compensation, just to give you an idea, increased to $158 million from $13 million in the quarter year over year. So clearly they're ramping up share compensation. Additionally, like I was saying, the IPO, it accelerated the company's restricted stock unit plan, causing the pro forma IPO to have a lower net income in the last quarter of $100 million versus the 105 and significantly lower in the fiscal 23 net income from 524 to the current to um, 141 million or 51 cents per share to 14 cents per share. These changes are really just a one-off, but likely you're going to see analysts in future quarters adjust that out because it is a one-time thing and you're not going to see that because obvious. Well, maybe in their case, actually, I should say they've already IPO'd twice. Maybe they'll do it a third time, but you're likely going to see that being adjusted out. So if you're seeing why are they only have 14 cents now, that, that'd be why. Moving on to its balance sheet and cash flows, Arm has a strong net cash position of $1.8 billion, including their leases. Arm did have an operating cash flow deficit, however, for the quarter versus a deficit of $231 million in the prior year. But this is just largely due to accrued compensation benefits in both years being paid out during the quarter. So looking at the trailing 12 months instead, they did have positive cash flows of $856 million. So the quarterly deficit is really just a result of timing of payments and benefits as a whole. So the company is really cash flow positive when you're looking at a longer time period, and this is the same for the previous years that have been provided. However, ARM's valuations clock in very high. It has a trailing price to sales of 22 times and a trailing PE of 143 times, which at that point is effectively meaningless to say the least. Similarly though, price to cash flow is still 67 times, which is very high. So 
our take. Like many IPOs, the price came in hot, immediately trading above the already initially high end of the range of what was expected for the IPO. The company does offer a unique product. It has great gross margins, like I said before, as it is running a unique service. And it is very widespread, as I said, with the 99% in your smartphone, as well as a ton of other technologies and any pretty much any small form factor electronic, if it has a processor in it, will likely be designed by ARM in some manner. But the major issue with ARM is it just has extreme valuations. Even ignoring the PE due to the quirks of share compensation, the price of sales is high, the price of cash flow is high, especially given the weak macro backdrop that we've seen for the industry for the past about year or so. And we don't really know when that's exactly going to pick up. So you could still be waiting another one or two years before you start to see that cyclicality start to trickle on up in the semiconductor business. So you're really playing a waiting game at these high multiples as well. And as well, the return to growth since or the growth during the time it being private wasn't that great. 7.1% at a 67% cash flow multiple. That's not that high. That's not very good. You're expecting high growth when you're paying these extreme premium multiples. So just as an overall arm just needs to be significantly cheaper to make it appealing. Yeah, I think it's pretty straightforward in terms of valuations. It just, you know, if you're paying those multiples, I think we'd like to see great growth. I mean, the margins look, you know, good, but that, you know, the, the growth in terms, the just growth isn't there to justify the mar the, the multiples right now for us. It might make sense to look at some research on IPOs because the, the, the general consensus from what I've seen is that obviously some I, IPOs can do well, but typically companies don't IPO unless they're getting a premium valuation. And so yeah. generally it, it tends to happen at the, at the peak of the market or close to, or the peak of maybe the, the a particular industry. Um, so it's, it's generally speaking, not a good way to invest, but I haven't, I haven't really gone through the research. It'd be interesting. I mean, yeah, with arm at those valuations at that growth rate, you can't even really, can't even really consider it investable to us. Yeah, just even looking at NVIDIA two years ago, 40 billion, and now it's effectively 60 billion market cap, what you'd be paying right now. So one and a half times the price for one and a half years is trading significantly higher. And that was even on their acquisition price, which was probably already premium at that time. Yeah, it's yeah for us, you know, if you keep buying companies with this profile, that multiple the growth rate that isn't really there right now. I mean, they had negative revenue growth in the last year, did they not? And, you know, it just, you just, you can't justify those multiples. If you buy 15 to 25 stocks under that multiple uh, and, and growth rate combination in your portfolio, we believe you're not going to do well over the long term. So that's why we don't add this company, even though, you know, there may be some interesting technology there, you got to pay the right price. All right. Now, we do know that Brennan is actually doing Thorn Health Tech, right? So yes. Brennan is doing that as a star of the week. Then we're interested to see uh, out his dog of the week. I kind of want to do the I dog I don't know first. if we've ever done this in the history of the show, so Brennan will have to justify it somehow, right? Can I do the dog first? Is that a, oh, you do what you want. We have to do it yeah, that way. Do what you want, okay. yeah. <laughs> we like to end on a positive note. Yes. So... Um, yeah, I recently came across this company in uh, our seed, our sweep that we're doing right now and had a little chuckle to myself. So I thought that we'd cover it as a dog. So yes, the dog of the week is AI Artificial Intelligence Ventures Inc. or AIVC on the TSX Venture. Uh, the stock is actually up approximately 65% since June of this year where it uh, traded with a price of or sorry, where it is trading with a price of about 26 cents and a market cap of about 8.2 million. And, you know, like Ryan was saying, you may be asking yourself, how is this stock a dog, Brennan, when it's up over the past few months? Well, on June tell 29th, us. I'll tell you, I'll tell you all right. So, well, on June 29th, 2023, Testify. the company changed its name from ESG Global Impact Capital Inc. to AI Artificial Intelligence Ventures Inc which it had just changed its name to ESG Global Impact in 2020. So in June of this year, they're just changing their name uh, to this AI Artificial Intelligence Ventures, Inc., which I thought was maybe a little peculiar. So I went to their website, and uh, hopefully this shows up on the screen. It's quite a lot here. Um, but on their website, this is what you see. And essentially, they say, 
AIVC is an investment management company with a focus on investing in early stage AI companies in the emerging AI growth sector. But of course, you know, their filings make no claim of AI investments, and it simply states that the company's goal is to build a portfolio of investments with a view to participating in income and capital growth from the sale of investments. So in their MDNA, they have nothing about AI really other than the name. Uh, same thing with their interim financial statements. So let's actually take a look at what is in this company's investment portfolio. So this is as of May 31st of 2023. Uh, the company's investment portfolio only had eight companies, which actually generates any meaningful revenue and all remain far from profit. So let's just look at the ones that I've highlighted here that actually uh, are generating some revenue. So AIML Resources, which actually just changed its name to AI slash ML Innovations. Uh, they're a digital healthcare business using AI and machine learning, and they just started to generate some revenue. Um, also, Everyday People Financial, which is a consumer lending company. Uh, Jackpot Digital, uh, which is an electronic table games to casino operators. Um, Leaf Brands, which is a cannab cannabis uh, provider. Uh, Numinous Wellness Inc., which is a psychedelic assisted therapy company, Oddburger Corp., which is plant-based food tech, Planting Hope Company, again, plant-based food tech, and WonderFi Technologies, which owns crypto asset trading platforms. So seeing the name change to uh, the AI um, Artificial Intelligence Ventures Inc., and the highly speculative portfolio primarily invested in companies which are junior miners, have no revenue, or even when they do have revenue, they have limited exposure to AI and no profitability. Despite the strong share price performance this year, I am classifying AI artificial intelligence ventures as a dog. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to name yourself that and then have um, like, I don't know. I'm glad you Acre did. Pacific um, Resources, Columbus Energy, Cypress Hill Resources, District Mines, East Africa Metals, yeah. e, e, I don't know, Encanto Posh, Ash, Aaron Venture, all of these EV Nickel, um, not related to the artificial intelligence sector. I mean, yeah. from first blush, and this this is a first blush, it looks like the company is trying to capitalize potentially on the <laughs> hype surrounding AI. Yes. Could it possibly be that that is the goal here? I've, Anyways, I've, I mean, I've, that's what it looks like. I've included in my presentation number of times that, you know, based on the experience that we've had at Keystone analyzing companies for, you know, close to 25 years now, um, that one thing that we've noted is the more descriptive a company's name is, generally the less likely it is to be a, a good company. So I've used the example, you know, if the company is called um, Acquisition Growth Corp., they're probably not doing acquisitions or there's probably nothing to grow and they're not growing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so this is particularly the case when the company is named after a hot theme. Right. And I've talked about this with AI as well. I mean, most of the companies that we like in the AI space don't have AI right in their name. Right. Um, well, and this company has it twice, right? Really just AI. Are, yeah. Sorry. They have it twice. They have it twice. Yeah. They have name. it twice. They not, right. Like, yeah. I mean, so typically this is just, it's, it's a sign that a company is really just trying to capitalize off of a hot theme in order to raise money. And I mean, this is, you know, you'd think that like they would set themselves up here to be sued or to be sanctioned otherwise by the Security Commission. I mean, they're clearly saying on their website that they have a specific investment strategy that does not appear to be their strategy at all. Um, and then another thing I'll note, too, is that, you know, from our experience, Companies that are public companies and try and operate in as, as investment or sorry investment funds typically do not do well. And we happen to know by knowing the regulatory structure that this is one way that um, teams of people are able to bypass the licensing requirements to be a portfolio manager if you structure your fund as a corporation. Um, so to me, it's just it's it's wrong on a number of fronts. Yeah. I agree. And it, you know, like, look at this portfolio, you know, this yeah, is I'm not... sure they would say they're transitioning towards AI. They're yeah. probably going to move towards that, but, but that's know, right not... now yeah. you're not there. 
And, no, and just look at like the close. capital destroyed in this portfolio. I mean, some names are up, but I mean, most are, are down, you know, like. And uh, I mean, these are, these numbers are not in thousands either, right? Uh, no, no, this is. So, I mean, they, like all, this is, a, I mean, they have, they tiny, have positions. Yeah. $2,000 positions in some of these companies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. This is like. Some of went to zero. An individual's like, portfolio. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, we have many clients with far larger portfolios yeah, than this yeah. entire company. Yes. So I mean, it's, yeah, it, anyway, it is what it is. Perhaps it they'll be trying to do yeah, a raise. brutal destruction capital. of capital. If you yeah. look at the the cost versus the fair value yeah. on a lot of these, yeah, just brutal destruction of capital. Mm-hmm. Anyways, but yeah, I pulled well, it out. I thought it was funny. So go on, Ryan. Yeah, and and we see that like we're right now we're going through thirty five hundred plus names on the TSX and the TSX Venture, and we said uh, if anything tickles our fancy in terms of maybe just a little bit funny or strange that we see, we might highlight them while we're going through that process. If it's a strange name or if it's a company that we've seen in many iterations like this over and over again, uh, that we see people you know putting their hard earned capital into and it being destroyed over time. I'm not saying that that is going to happen in this company, but we've seen a pattern of businesses like this in the past that have destroyed investor capital. And we'll just say, you know, if you call yourself one thing and then we look at what you're owning and it doesn't match, uh, you know, we can highlight that and show people uh, yep. what is actually in the portfolio today. And that's what we did there. There we go. So not necessarily a dog in terms of the share performance over the past uh, or this year, but uh, in terms of uh, looking forward, we'll see how this business yes. does. Okay. All right. You're going to look at our star. Yes. Let's positive note it at the end of the, to, end uh, of the, to the show. Star. Our star of the week is Thorn Health Tech Inc. or THRN on the NASDAQ. And the stock is up about 38% in the past month, uh, 174% year to date, and up 118% since we highlighted the stock as a monitor in our US under 2 billion market cap report or special report released uh, to clients in June of this year. So the stock is currently trading at about $10.16 with a market cap of about $550 million. And Thorn Health Tech develops solutions for personalized health and wellness and provides supplements to their customers. So the company breaks its operations into two segments. Number one, their direct-to-consumer segment, uh, which sells its products to consumers online through its uh, own website as well as Amazon. And then as well, their professional and business-to-business uh, where they have wholesale customers that include health professionals and retail stores through authorized resellers. So Thorne tries to differentiate themselves uh, from other supplement manufacturers by offering health tests, which then allows the company to cross-sell Thorne's supplements. And in addition to tests and supplements, the company also produces OneDraw, uh, which is a blood collection device. And the product's goal is to have the blood draw experience with less pain while capturing high quality samples. And the company is expecting feedback from the FDA on its approval in Q3 uh, for unsupervised medical use. Um, But it has already received approval in Japan and the EU as of August this year. Now, the reason we wrote a report on the company for clients is because the business produced good growth in revenue and profitability, was doubling its manufacturing capacity with a new facility, uh, and traded with reasonable valuations with a forward price to adjusted earnings multiple of about 16 times and about nine times forward adjusted EBITDA. But we were slightly hesitant on the stock as earnings and cash flow have been quite volatile. And we were slightly concerned that the company wouldn't be able to achieve strong profitability due to its share compensation and expansion plans. Nonetheless, driving the increase is number one, the company's strong financial results from Q2 of 2023, where revenue growth or revenue was up 33% year over year. Uh, Gap diluted EPS was 8 cents compared to a loss of 11 cents for the same quarter last year. And they also raised the midpoint of full year 2023 guidance uh, for net sales of 285 to 290 million, which is about an 11% increase from 2022. And they also raised their full year 2023 guidance range for adjusted EPS to be about 26 cents to 32 cents, which would be actually down to flat year over year. So this is essentially what led the stock higher to about the 80 or sorry, $8 range. But 
On August 28th, the company announced that it had entered into a definitive agreement to be acquired by uh, L. Catterton for $10.20 per share in cash and taken private, which was a 30% premium to the current share price. And the transaction is expected to be closed in Q4 of this year. So with health te- or with Thorn Health Tech's strong financial performance and recent takeover announcement, the stock has taken our coveted status of star of the week. And of course, I wanted to talk about this one on the podcast uh, because it was a stock which I pulled uh, out from our initial screening. Pat on the back, Brennan. <laughs> Anyways, um, you know, we, we go through thousands of companies every year. So if we are highlighting a stock as a monitor in one of our larger comprehensive reports, it is likely a decent business with solid fundamentals. Uh, So, you know, I just wanted to highlight that. Just calm down, young man. Calm down. <laughs> language, Brennan. Language. Yes, um, I'll get uh, Brett, or Brett to, uh, to to beat that one for me, please, Brett. Uh, no, um, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, it, we, we pulled that out. Decent company. Um, one of the things, there is several public companies that are kind of in the supplements industry. Um, and, and one thing that it's, it's, it's really hard to gauge is the efficacy of the products over time. And it becomes a marketing uh, a a marketing game. And it does look like Thorne's done a good job at that. I was at a local health store just over the weekend and I did notice that they had a bunch of Thorne products in there. So they're distributed. I mean, we, we know this, but they're distributed very widely and and it's a company that has done a good job and clearly, uh, somebody saw value in the business and uh, purchased it for a significant premium, which is nice to see. Good. I think that's going to end our show for this week. I didn't miss out on anyone, did I? I can't even remember today, apparently, me. but that's good. You missed me. Aaron Dunn, well, that doesn't matter. Two nobody wants to hear from you anyway. No, so. nobody. All right. That end the show for this week. Keep your questions coming in for our Your Stock, Our Take segment. If you're watching us on YouTube, smash that subscribe button right now. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes, rate and review us on there. Only positive reviews, as we say. Uh, And I'd like to wish you all profitable investing. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.